Sometimes life is like it, right? It's just uh, sometimes it's rough. Sometimes we fall down. We are in week two of comeback season. And uh, I've said this many times. You've heard me probably say this if you've been around for very long at all. But I did grow up in far west Texas. And one of the things that's interesting about far west Texas is everything is really spread out. Towns are not close together at all. Uh, Right outside of my hometown, a little town called Van Horn, uh, if you're leaving town going north, there's a sign right outside the city limits that says, check your gas gauge because there's no gas stations for the next 110 miles. And the reason that that sign is there is because no one wants to be driving in the middle of nowhere in the desert and see this. That's not anybody's desire when you're traveling. Now we all respond differently to that. When the low fuel light comes on, some of you are like, ah, I'm good, I got plenty of time. Others of you who have everything in your life together, we don't like you because you've got it all together. It's like, man, how does that person just always have it together? Those of you who have everything together in your life, you pull over at the next gas station you see, you fill up your car. And then there's some of you that you go to the other extreme because you don't really care until it gets to zero. And you know how far you can drive when it gets to zero. I was driving with my wife in her car, which it seems like every time I get in her car, it's on zero. I don't know if it works like that for you guys. But I remember getting in her car a couple years ago and we were heading to Katy and we got on the Grand Parkway. And right as we get onto the Grand Parkway, I looked down and it says zero miles till E. And I looked at her and I was like, oh my gosh, what's, what are we gonna do? I mean, Braden and Cam are not gonna push with me. It's gonna be all on me. And she's like, oh, we're fine. I'm like, what do you mean we're fine? There's no gas stations for like 10 miles going south on the Grand Parkway. She goes, we're fine. She goes, I drive from our house to work all the time, starting at zero. I'm like, oh my gosh, why are you like this? What is going on? But we can all agree that it's never fun to run out of gas. It's never fun to have to be stuck on side of the road unable to continue to make progress towards the destination that we desperately want to be at. A car with no fuel is ultimately a car that is unable to perform and function and do what it was designed or created to do. And the reason that I set up our day today with that is because I don't want us to focus necessarily on the gas tank in our car, but I want us to think about our own gas tanks in our life. Because I know that in the last several weeks, months, maybe years for some of us, that we're in a place where our gas tank is empty. We're running on fumes. We're in a place where we feel stuck. We feel like we're not capable of doing some of the things we feel like we were created or designed to do. And what I want us to do today is I want us to jump into a story in week two of comeback season, a story of a guy named Elijah. And as we look at Elijah's story, I think we're gonna be able to, number one, be able to diagnose where our own fuel level is. Are we running on empty? Are we running on fumes? And then once we recognize where our gauge is, if we find ourselves today in a place where we're on empty, I think we see in this story that when we find ourselves in a place that we're empty, even in the desert, that God wants to give us rest, that God wants to remind us of himself, and then he wants to recalibrate our purpose. And so let's jump into this passage And as we jump into 1 Kings chapter 19, we've got to understand a little bit of context briefly. Uh, I taught a message on 1 Kings chapter 18 back in November. So you can go back and watch that if you want to. I'll give you a 30 second recap. Elijah shows up on this mountain, it's Mount Carmel. And he begins to take on 850 
prophets of Baal. And they're basically competing to see whose God is going to come through, whose God is going to show up and do what only God can do. And so if you know the story, uh, the Baal prophets start doing everything they can possibly do to worship their false idols and nothing ever happens. Elijah finally calls on God. God brings fire from heaven and it burns up the altars and God does what only he can do. It's this unbelievable victory for Elijah. I mean, it's not even close. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I don't know who's gonna win this. I mean, it was total domination. And the story ends with Elijah literally running in the goodness of God. A mountaintop moment. And then we find ourselves in the story today and you would think that Elijah runs off into the, uh, the sunset and everything is good in his life. Everything is great. But quickly we see in the story that he goes from this mountaintop high to this devastating low in his life. So we pick up in verse one and look what it says. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She continues on, or he continues on. It says, and he was afraid and arose. Now Jezebel was the wicked witch of the West in these days. She was married to King Ahab. Ahab was a little bit of a wimp and Ahab had witnessed everything that God had done. And immediately as he leaves this scene where God showed up and did a miracle, he begins to go back home to Jezebel who wasn't there. And immediately he's intimidated by her. And he recognizes that he better be careful with what he communicates back. So what does he do? He doesn't talk about what God does. He talks about what Elijah did. And he blames the death of these prophets that are valuable to Jezebel on Elijah. So she's ticked. And she says, Elijah, you've got to go. And I am willing to take your life. But she knew that if she took his life and killed him, then there would be an uprising of the people. They would be frustrated because they valued Elijah based on what had just happened. So she gives him a 24-hour notice and says, you need to go. And if you don't, I will kill you. So he takes off and he's running out of fear. It says he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. I highlighted a few of these things because I think they stick out to us because what we're beginning to see is we're beginning to get a peek into what Elijah was experiencing, what he was feeling in this moment. So he's afraid, he's running, he's left his servant there. So here he is by himself, but he himself went a day's journey, walking all by himself, alone into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life for I'm not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And here's what's happening in this story. Just a few verses back, Elijah is doing great, literally running because of the goodness of God and all that God was doing in his life. And now he finds himself in a place of discouragement, despair. Scholars even say that he was struggling and wrestling with actual depression. I mean, you see him here saying, I wish that I was dead. I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you ever been in a situation where everything was going right you felt like you were doing all of the right things. Everything that God had kind of led you to up to that point in your life was going the way that you expected it to. Celebrating, excited, joyful, and then in an instant, something changes. 
And in an instant, you go from being on the mountaintop into the valley, and in this valley, you begin to feel despair and discouragement and confusion. All of a sudden, you thought you were doing everything the way it was supposed to be done, and God was coming through just like you had expected. And like Elijah, you found yourself in a place where maybe I had the wrong expectations of God. I mean, in this situation, he's doing everything the right way, and then all of a sudden, someone attacks him. Some of us have been there. We felt misunderstood, and then we become discredited. We're discouraged. People are dismissing what we do or what we say. They begin to say, hey, you know what? You don't belong here. He finds himself in a place of adversity. And maybe for you, it's not that somebody is attacking you or somebody is trying to take your life, but you're in a place where maybe you are already running on fumes and then adversity comes in. And when the adversity strikes and the tank is empty, it's devastating. Maybe it was an illness that you didn't realize was there that was diagnosed recently. Maybe it's the breakup of a home that you didn't expect would ever be broken up. Some kind of loss, grief, children who have become incredibly difficult to lead. You thought it was gonna be easier than this. Job loss, stress, anxiety, and your tank is empty. I wanna illustrate this for us today um, in kind of a unique way. For some of us, y'all are like, man, Wes is always bringing his toys to church. I want this to represent the tank in our life. And I'm gonna say this tank's not completely empty. We'll put a little bit in it. But it's close, close to being empty. And this tank represents your tank, maybe. It's empty. There's nothing left to give. You're exhausted. You don't know what to do. This is kind of just the reality of your life. You know, it's hard to put our hands on emptiness. It's hard for us to see emptiness, but we can all feel it. So what I wanna do today is I wanna illustrate emptiness in a specific way. I want us to be able to see it. And so I have up here something in my hand and you might call it a ping pong ball. And if you call it that, you're wrong. That's not what it is. This is a ball of emptiness, okay? I was actually in Academy this week and I bought three 46 packs of empty balls of emptiness, balls of emptiness, whatever you want to call it. Okay, ping pong ball. I get in line to check out and the guy in the checkout line in front of me turns around and goes, bro, that's a lot of beer pong. <laughs> and I was like, I just, I just let it go. I didn't say, I was just like, yeah, I guess, it, I guess it would be. And listen, if you're here today, sir, I didn't, I didn't recognize you. And I'm sorry for your disappointment. Your expectations have been thrown out the window today because you're like, oh, wait, what? What's happening? But let's let, this, let's let this be small balls of emptiness. And here's what I wanna do. Here's what I wanna illustrate for us. We may not see the emptiness. We, not, we may not be able to put our hands on the emptiness, but we all feel it. And we all have emptiness in our life. And when I think about what's going on in Elijah's life, I think we can pull some things out from him that I think we are experiencing because of the emptiness. Maybe for you, it's fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of something that's happened in your past that you're afraid is going to catch up with you. And what happens when we're fearful of something is it ultimately begins to control us. It begins to dictate the decisions that we make. Sometimes decisions we don't wanna make, it makes us impulsive. As we are wrestling with that fear, we become impulsive like Elijah. Elijah, in a moment of panic and fear, he begins to run out into the wilderness and he begins to just walk for a day out into the desert. There's nothing smart about that. When you're already tired, he's walking out into the desert. 
Why? Because he's impulsive. Maybe that's what the emptiness is in your life. You find yourself in in a state of impulsiveness, making that big purchase only to find yourself in massive amounts of credit card debt. Listen, I get that. I've been there. And we just continue to run this race of impulsiveness. And then all of a sudden we've got all this baggage that we're carrying with us, but it's all a result of emptiness in our life. And it begins to mount up. It begins to pile on in our lives. Maybe it's not impulsiveness, but maybe for you it's isolation. You see, Elijah had his servant with him and then he decides, you know what? I'm gonna leave my servant here. Unfortunately, that's the tendency that a lot of us have when we are struggling with some sort of adversity, difficulty, discouragement. The first step we take is a step towards isolation. And this is especially true for men. I say that because I am one. What we do as guys is oftentimes if there's something in our life that doesn't feel right or that we're disappointed in for ourselves, rather than tell someone about it, rather than talk to someone about it, we just kind of pull away from everybody because we don't want them to see that there might be some flaws in us. We don't want them to see that there might be some weakness in us because then if they see that weakness or they see that flaw, then they're not gonna think that I'm as strong as I'm supposed to be, that I'm as good as I told them that I was. And so we just kind of, dismiss ourselves, or maybe it's not isolation, but it's insulation. We've gotta act like we've got it all together. So anytime somebody begins to recognize someone, something in our life that maybe is not healthy or something that maybe someone's concerned about in our lives, as guys, we struggle and we're like, hey, I don't need you to tell me how to live my life. And we put this insulation around us to protect us from the thoughts and the opinions and the advice and wisdom from other people. And it becomes a place of emptiness isolated and insulated from those around us that care about us. Maybe you're simply hopeless. You begin to think back to your life and you think, man, I I didn't do everything I was supposed to do. I've kind of wasted my opportunities. Life didn't turn out the way that I thought it was gonna be. I think Elijah's struggling with this in the story. He begins to think about it and he begins to get to a place where he begins to feel like a failure, emptiness. Maybe it's the marriage. Maybe it's the dream job that didn't go like you hoped it was going to go, maybe it was you choosing to do something you said you would never do and you find yourself feeling like a failure and it just begins to mount up and the emptiness just begins to really take over in your life and it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and you get to a place where maybe you start feeling like you're attacked, like Elijah's being attacked. Nobody understands you. Nobody understands what you're trying to do. Nobody wants to pay attention or even give you time to listen and every, it just seems like everything and everyone is against you and life is just one constant battle of being attacked by opinions and people. And maybe you even get to a place where you are so empty that you begin to think like Elijah. Maybe I'd be better off not here anymore. See, we don't get there overnight. But as these things begin to mount up, we begin to feel the weight of something that's invincible that we can't hold on to, but we can experience it. We feel it. And today I want us to be able to see this, this empty gas tank in our life running on fumes. And I think Elijah's struggling with this. I think this is a place where I think these were things that didn't just show up in an instant in this moment. These are things he's probably carried with him. And he had this mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel. And then all of a sudden he's devastated by adversity and all these things creep back in. I think these are things that he probably ran with for a really long time. And I think what we need to do today in order for God to show up and do what only he can do in our lives when we find ourselves in a place where we're running on fumes is we need to drop the Christian facade. 
the tendency that we have when we walk into this place or we jump onto the online stream, we feel like we gotta kind of have it all together. And life is falling apart around us and we are running on fumes and we walk in these doors and we have conversations with each other. We sing songs to our heavenly father and we think God is good, God is good. All the time, God is good. God's got a purpose in this pain. God's ways are the best ways. All things that are true, but they certainly don't always feel true. And I just wanna give a little bit of permission today. A little bit of an opportunity maybe for some of us just to let the facade down and say, it's okay to freak out a little bit, to panic like Elijah panics. Because I think something happens when we get there and we see this in the story of Elijah. We've all struggled with some of this in the last year because nothing has gone like it was supposed to go. Every single one of us have had missed expectations. And some of us are running on empty. Some of us are getting close to empty. Some of us have been there and God's beginning to work things back out in our lives. But look what happens in the life of Elijah. It says that he lay down and he slept under a juniper tree and behold, there was an angel touching him and he said to him, arise, eat. Then he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones. I don't know what that looks like or how that works, but if you do, video that and send it to me because it sounds amazing. It says that he gives him the bread, the cake, and a jar of water. I mean, he's in the desert, so he's thirsty. Water is scarce. This angel shows up and begins to provide for him. It continues on and says this. So he ate and drank, and then he lay down again. I mean, this fool was tired. He is exhausted. He's like, give me some of that bread cake, whatever that is. Looks good. I'm gonna eat some of that. Gives him some water, and he goes back to sleep. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Elijah's in this place, and he has this encounter with an angel. And I think we've got to understand, angels don't operate by accident. It's not like this angel was sitting up on a cloud in his chubby state playing his harp and he looked down and he sees Elijah tired under a tree and says, oh man, I'm gonna go check on this guy. No, they're sent on assignment by God, specifically on purpose. And so God sends this angel to Elijah and he doesn't get down there and say, hey, Elijah, I need you to get it together. You gotta suck it up, buttercup. It's comeback season at COF. We're gonna turn those setbacks into comebacks. I mean, let's go, Elijah. That's not how he shows up. He shows up and he immediately says he touches him. Why? because there's something powerful about physical touch when you're struggling with loneliness. A hug has power when you're wrestling with loneliness, feeling like you're all alone. The angel shows up and begins to provide support and care for Elijah. He makes him a meal. He doesn't just make him a bologna sandwich. I mean, he puts the hot stones together and he makes bread on the stone. I mean, who does that? Someone who genuinely cares about you. And then he gives him water. And then he says, hey, you're about to go on a journey. And, and, and I don't know where this lands for you, but maybe you're in a place where your tank is empty and you begin to think about what this angel says to Elijah. But he's talking to him. And he's saying, hey, you're about to go on a journey. And you need this for that journey. You're about to spend 40 days and 40 nights on this journey in the desert. In other words, God's not done with you yet, Elijah. I know you feel like you wanna die, but I'm about to give you what you need to continue into this journey because God has a plan and a purpose for your life that goes beyond today. And I don't know who needs to hear that today, but somebody here probably needs to hear that because maybe you're at the end of your rope. The tank is empty and has been empty for a long time. 
And God wants you to hear him say to you today, I have a plan, I have a purpose. This is not the end. This is not the best way out. There is a better way. There's a way of freedom. There's a way of healing. There's a way of rest. That's what God does in this. When your setback leaves you feeling empty, God will give you rest. It's what he does. He's the author of rest. And in this moment, this angel shows up and begins to give Elijah exactly what Elijah needs, rest. Where at? In the desert. You know, growing up in West Texas, I'll, I'll talk about West Texas and people will say, man, I just don't think I'd like it out there. There's just, it just sounds terrible. I mean, there's no, no trees, no plants, no water. Everything's just kind of dead and dusty. The plants are abusive. <laughs> they're, they're sharp and they make you sore and the rocks are, are jagged. It's just kind of a rough, rough area. And that's true. But there's some really good things about the desert too. Elijah finds himself in the desert. It's a place of solitude. It's a place to disengage. It's a place to disconnect. I went out to West Texas just a few weeks ago, spent some time with my dad. You know what's so awesome about going out there? The phone signal is terrible. Wi-Fi, terrible. And so whether I want to or not, I'm able to disconnect, slow down, rest, push the obligations and the appointments to the side. The calendar is thrown out the window. The pace slows down just a little bit. It's a place of solitude. And in that, God does something to refresh me. He begins to work in my mind. He begins to work in my body, physically begins to restore my body back to health. It's what he does when we take that time to rest. Elijah didn't go there on purpose, but he found himself in the desert. And in the desert, God wants to do incredible work. You see that all through scripture. Not only was Elijah in the desert, Moses met God in a burning bush in the desert. Jacob wrestled with God in the desert. Abraham waited on God in the desert. The Israelites were led out of captivity of Egypt. And where did they go? The desert. Because it's in the desert that God wants to strip things away so that we can see ourselves better and understand what we're feeling better, but also so that we can see him better. And we can have a clearer perspective of who he is and who he wants to be in our lives and in the future in front of us. And that's what he's doing in this moment for Elijah, in this desert moment. For some of us, what you need today, the tank is empty. You're at the end of your rope. And what you need today is not another sermon. It's not another podcast. It's not another memorized prayer. It's a nap. You need a nap. And some of you are getting a head start on that nap, even right now. And that kind of sounds ridiculous, but here's what I mean. Some of us need to seriously take a minute and just pause to put down the device, to disconnect. You know, I was thinking back to this this week. This time last year, we were all sitting at home with nothing to do but worry and play cards with the family, hang out, eat meals together, sleep a little bit longer. Isn't it crazy how quickly we got back to the busyness, back to the race, back to the frenzy. I was reading this week that the average person spends three hours a day on their smartphone, not talking to people, because who does that anymore? 2,600 times a day, the average person taps their smartphone. We're so busy, we're so hectic. And I think we've neglected the desert times in our life. And in this desert season, this desert time for Elijah, God begins to provide him rest. 
in January of 2018, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. You've heard me talk about that a little bit and just fast forward real quick, she's doing great. We think it's all behind us and we caught it super early. But for a couple of months, it was really overwhelming. And prior to the diagnosis, I had been running at a really crazy pace. It's just kind of what I do. I just have this weird, my mind never shuts off. It's kind of ridiculous and I don't like that about myself. And January of 2018 shows up, it's a new year, it's a new start, it's a new year's resolutions. And immediately my wife is diagnosed with cancer. And so we began to run through that race, walking through doctor's appointments, trying to find out the severity of it and all the things that we were gonna have to do next steps and continued through that process with all the difficult conversations and mind is racing. But immediately some of the things that I had been intentional about in resting and and taking care of my body and then exercising and eating right, I just kind of put on pause. And so for a few months, I'm just running through this rat race, overwhelmed, stressed out, worried. My wife has a, a pretty significant operation and is in the hospital for a little bit. And get into April, everything's kind of starting to land in the rearview mirror as far as the major things go. And I remember in April, all of a sudden I started feeling something in my body. Things just didn't feel right. I was having chest pains. And I couldn't quite figure out what was causing it, where it was happening. And not only that, but one day I was driving to work on my way to to the church from Fairfield where I live. And um, I literally thought I was gonna pass out driving down the feeder road on 290. And so I pulled over right next to the retention pond that's at 290 and 99. There's a little driveway right there that drives into a fence because they really should let you fish there and they don't. And so, but it was a spot for me to pull over in the moment. And I pulled over literally thinking I was about to pass out. I didn't know what was going on with me. It scared me. So I went to the doctor and the doctor starts asking me questions and I'm giving him all the answers. And so I start going through all these tests and scans and blood work and get to the end of all of this for weeks. And the doctor just finally says, man, I don't think anything's wrong with you. I think it's stress and anxiety. He said, is there anything going on in your life that maybe is life changing or life altering? I was like, yeah. He goes, man, it's wrecking your body. He goes, he said, you gotta slow down. You need to rest. God knew that. God designed us to rest. I needed to change something. I need to change my rhythms. It's the same thing that Elijah does and he doesn't choose it, but he finds himself in a place and in that place in the desert, God gives him rest and the angel sends him out for 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness. And then he shows up where God wants him to be. Look what it says in this next passage. It says, then he came there to a cave and lodged there and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Continues on, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord. This is Elijah's response to God. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, which is true. This is a true statement. The God of hosts for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Again, true statement. This is really happening. It says, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. All true. And then he says, I, and I alone am left. I highlighted that because I'm not sure that's true. And we see this later in the story. And they seek my life to take it away. Elijah has this moment with God where he's real, he's vulnerable. You see, I think what happens is is oftentimes we find ourselves in a desert. We find ourselves with an empty tank running on fumes. We wanna trust God, but as we're wanting to trust God, we're a little bit disappointed and struggling with missed expectations. And oftentimes what begins to happen, and we've all been here, the enemy wants to begin to speak lies 
the enemy wants to begin to tell you things like, hey, you know what? Maybe God's not doing all that God could do. Maybe God's holding out on you. If God was so good, why are you going through this? What's crazy is we actually begin to believe the lies in this wilderness desert moment. Sometimes he doesn't even just talk, talk about God. He begins to talk about you, talk about me. He begins to say, hey, you thought you were gonna do better than you did. What happened? Kind of failed, didn't you? You're not all that you thought you were gonna be. You're not all that they thought you were gonna be. And we find ourselves in a place where we begin to listen to the lies. We begin to believe the things that the enemy is telling us to distract us, to disrupt us, to discourage us, to destroy us, because that is his mission. He wants to wreck your life. He wants you to be here because if he can get you here, then the next time we experience something in this broken world, it's devastating and it's hard to recover from. But as long as you still have breath in your lungs, recovery is always possible. We see this in the life of Elijah. God shows up, Elijah shows up in this cave. They begin to have this conversation and God says, why are you here, Elijah? What is he doing? He's giving Elijah an opportunity to speak. He wants to hear from Elijah. And it's not because he needs the information. It's not because God didn't know what was going on. You see, prayer, communication with God was never designed and isn't on, is not designed to inform God of anything. He already knows. But in our informing God of what we're feeling, he begins to transform something inside of us. I remember when call waiting first came out. Some of you are old enough to remember that. It was back in the day when there was still like a, a phone on the wall and there was this big cord. And if you were really lucky, your parents had one of those phones with like a 25 foot phone cord and you'd like walk all around the house connected to this phone. But I remember when call waiting came out and you would be on the phone and instead of somebody calling and getting a business busy signal, they would call and your phone would actually ring and you'd hear the little beep on the phone. Some of you are like, yeah, we still have that, Wes. I know, but back in this day, it was amazing. But here's what's crazy. You'd be on the phone talking to someone because back in those days, you would actually have phone conversations. You couldn't text message. So you'd be talking and then all of a sudden you'd hear that beep. You're like, oh, hang on, hang on. This is a big deal. Two people wanna talk to me right now, not just you, but there's somebody else. And so you would, you would say, hey, can you hang on just a second? And so you would click over to the other line and you'd be like, hey, what's going on? And they'd be like, hey, we're just calling to check on you. And here's what's crazy. As you're sitting there, you had a decision to make. Were you just gonna leave the other person hanging? on the other line and just keep talking to this person because you like this person more? Are we gonna click back over and say, hey, you know what, I'll call you back or you had a decision to make. What I think some of us have to do and this is what God is inviting us into. Some of us need to click over to the other line because there's somebody more valuable on the other line that wants to speak more valuable things, life-giving things to you and you need to put the other one on hold and never pick it back up and let him just sit there wondering, where did he go? Where's he at? Where's she at? Because God wants to invite us into this conversation. Not only does he want to hear from us, but he wants to speak to us. And you see this. And in this, when we're in this setback that leaves us feeling empty and he begins to give us rest as we're out in this desert, not only does he wanna give us rest, but he also wants to remind us of himself. He wants to remind you of himself because it's in that dialogue where you begin to speak vulnerably about all the things you're feeling and you're experiencing that God begins to go to work. God is that master counselor. Not only is he addressing the physical needs in our bodies, but he's speaking and listening, addressing some of the psychological needs. He knows how your body works. He knows how your mind works. There's something life-giving, therapeutic about processing verbally the things that are going on in our lives. That's why counseling is such an important step for a lot of people. We have an incredible counseling center here 
because I know there's some that you're so far down at the end of your rope that you need to talk to somebody that's a professional that's trained in how to do that. There's a place for that here. But all of us can find ourselves in this place where we need to have that conversation when we've been broken down and we don't know what to do. I'm not a super emotional person. I don't cry a lot. I don't like to cry a lot. It's, and it's not anything to shame somebody else. Like, oh, I'm tougher than you, because I'm really not. I mean, cactus sticks me and I'm, it's game over. But there have been times in my life where I have been broken down, where I've been overwhelmed with emotion. I remember the first time I watched Old Yeller as a kid. Devastated. Why do they make movies like that? Modern day version is Marley and me. I, don't, I just don't get it. Devastated. Fox and the Hound. I didn't get it. Why can't they be friends? But maybe more serious than that, I remember very clearly a couple of instances in my life where I have been just completely broken. In the summer of 2008, driving home from New Orleans, I'd taken a group of students to New Orleans on a mission trip, driving a church van home. We're about halfway back to Dallas. My mom calls me. She says, hey, I got bad news. Your granddad has a brain tumor and the diagnosis isn't, isn't positive. And it just wrecked me driving down the road and I just start weeping. I mean, allergies went insane. It was the first time I'd experienced death of someone that was close to me. A few months later, his, he, he passed away. And it, was, it, it shook me up. But it's something about those moments that gets our attention. Just a couple of months ago, a friend of mine from high school passed away a really close friend all through high school and even the first couple years of college. And we went to a small school and so you knew everybody and this was the first person from our graduating class to pass away ever. And it just shook me and it kind of caught me off guard because I haven't seen this guy in a long time, but we used to be really, really close and there was a season where his life and my life started going in different directions. And I just started to reflect and I started to process. And I was like, man, why, why did this have to happen this way? I was a little bit frustrated even with God and I even sat down that day and just started journaling in my, in my journal. I do that. And maybe that's the next step for you because it's in that moment of brokenness that God wants you to be vulnerable and real, to be honest. He can handle it. It's why he's inviting Elijah to speak into it. Why are you here, Elijah? Because there's something about getting it all out and that's what Elijah does. He tells him everything he's feeling, true and untrue. That's what he's feeling. There's power in that. And then as we do that, God wants to speak into us. It's been the perfect storm for the last several months. The pandemic has brought with it mental challenges, social challenges, global challenges, local challenges. The components of what we've been walking through have been difficult. And every single one of us have dealt with it in different ways. But it's been the perfect storm. And here's what's interesting. We can find ourselves in a place in a storm. And oftentimes we go to all the wrong places for help. I mean, if you have a flat tire today on your way home, you're not gonna get back in your car and drive to the car wash. You're not gonna go to Discount Tire either because they're closed on Sunday. So you're gonna have to go to NTB. Why? Because that's where you go when your flat, your tire has a flat. If you break your arm tomorrow, the first place you go is not gonna go to your hairdresser. You're gonna go to the ER. If I show up to get my haircut and sit down in the chair and my arm is like, Nasty broken. I mean, I don't even, I'm not even gonna go to detail because some of y'all are like, don't do it, Wes. Ditra, who cuts my hair, is gonna look at me and say, you have lost your mind. You need to get to the ER. But sometimes that's what we do when we find ourselves in a place where the tank is empty. We run to all the wrong places. And God wants to invite you in. He wants you close. When you get close, he wants to hear from you and he wants to speak to you. And there's power in that. He begins to work in that. Here's where my confidence comes from in this. This is why I'm so confident that God wants us close. Look what it says next. 
if you're a weather nerd in the room like myself, this gets a little bit crazy and you might appreciate this. But he says, so he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. That's a violent wind, okay? Can we just say like that's, that's hurricane force? But the Lord was not in the wind. Continues on and says, and after the wind, an earthquake. So you've got wind that's breaking rocks into pieces and then you've got an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Now, while all this is happening, Elijah is hanging out in the cave. Now that sounds terrifying to me to be in a cave while there's a violent tornado going on outside, like I would be terrified it's gonna suck me out. My mind goes to crazy places, okay? Then the earthquake starts to shake or it starts to shake the ground. Every time I get into a cave or a cavern, the whole time I'm there, I'm thinking that once in a thousand year earthquake's about to hit while I'm in this cave. I have anxiety issues. Elijah's in this moment, says after the earthquake, a fire. So not only that, but now you got this fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. This is the perfect storm. I think this represents some of what you and I have walked through. Maybe you're still in the middle of that perfect storm. It's overwhelming, but look what happens. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He repeats the question and Elijah repeats his response. But here's what happens in this perfect storm violent, loud, noisy, chaotic, and God's not anywhere in that storm. God's not doing anything in that storm, but where is God? God is in the gentle whisper, the gentle voice. Why? What it's doing is it's pointing us to something. It's reminding us of something because that's what God does. He reminds us of himself. He gives us rest. He reminds us of himself and he reminds us that when he is there with us, he's not a long way off. He only has to whisper because he's close, because he's right there, because you don't have to yell, you don't have to shout at someone who's sitting next to you. It's where God wants to be, in the middle of the storm, close. And while he's close, he wants to remind you who he is, that his power is with you, that his love is for you, that his grace and his mercy is available to you. It's why he sent Jesus, because there was something that kept us from being close to him. And so Jesus arrives after all of this happens. He goes to the cross and he did what you and I couldn't do so that you and I could be close to our heavenly father by trusting in Jesus. It's why we get to call him Abba Father. It's a fatherly term that points to intimacy, points to closeness because we need that when we're running on empty. It's the picture, it's the scene that we're seeing. We'll close with this. God is close. Elijah feels his closeness. You see his response to that. He's overwhelmed with repentance for failing, realizing that he failed to remember the goodness of God in this moment. And God begins to speak truth to him. And what was the lie? Elijah thought that he was all alone, that he was the only one left. And so God begins to say, hey, listen, Elijah, LL Cool J said, don't call it a comeback because you've been here for years. I'm gonna send you back. A couple of you got that. I'm gonna send you back, but I'm not sending you back all alone because you're not all alone. He begins to name off all these people that Elijah's going to connect with when he gets there. He's saying, Elijah, you still have breath in your lungs, so I still have a purpose and a plan for your life. You just have to step into it. Look what he says in verse 18. He's not just mentioning a few names. He says, I will leave 7,000 in Israel. 
This dude just thought he was all alone. He was the only one left. You see, we can't see clearly when the tank's empty. I can't, I can't see through that. I can't, where, where are you at? I can't, we can't see clearly when the tank is empty. And what happens here is God begins to shift his perspective. He wants him to see clearly. He wants him to trust. He says, hey, you thought you were all alone, but that's because your tank is empty and you can't see clearly. You can't see yourself clearly. You can't understand clearly what's going on with you. And you can't see me clearly. You can't see my ways clearly. So let me tell you, Elijah, you are not alone. And not only are you not alone, you're not just gonna be with a few people, but I've got 7,000 in Israel waiting for you. 7,000 other prophets. Because if it's not good, God's not done. And God always does more than we would expect him to do. Elijah would have never assumed 7,000 people would be there when he gets back. This was his comeback. This was his opportunity. Because here's the third thing God does. He recalibrates your purpose. You're feeling empty today. And what God is doing is he wants to, in this desert moment, he wants to give you rest. He wants to remind you of who he is. And then he wants to adjust your thinking, adjust your direction. That what it, that's what it means to recalibrate. Because as you know him and as you experience him and you enjoy his rest and you enjoy his presence, you can't get enough of it. And you can't help but to begin to live on purpose for the things that he's called you to do, to know him and to make him known. And so he sends Elijah back and he says, hey, you got a mission for your life. You're not worthless. You're not a failure. There's nothing to be afraid of. You're not in isolation anymore. I am bringing you back. And it's the same thing that he's calling us to do today. You see, it is comeback season. And I think there's some of us that have been struggling to come back. There's a lot of people, even after this last service, somebody said to me, he said, man, I, this, this is real. I've struggled with being alone. And I felt the loneliness. Maybe it's comeback season, not just to show up, but to show up and live on purpose, connecting with other people while you live on purpose. That's what it means to volunteer. That's the best way to experience the best version of you is to step in and volunteer at Community of Faith. It's not because we need you to volunteer. We do. But more importantly, you need us. We need you because we're better with each other. Here's what happens. We're experiencing this emptiness in our life. The tank is empty. We're running on fumes and we get to a place where we don't know if we can do this anymore. And that place might be right where God wants you to be to get your attention today. Because here's what God does is he begins to fill us when he gives us rest. You begin to take a break. You begin to take a nap. You begin to take a vacation. You begin to find that solitude that place of just disconnect, everything begins to get stripped away and God begins to fill you up. And as he fills you up, he begins to push back the emptiness that you're feeling, the emptiness that's weighing you down. And as he begins to give you rest, he's inviting you into conversation. He's inviting you to be close. He's trying to remind you of himself, of his ways, of his plans, of his purposes. And he begins to push back the emptiness. And do you see what's happening? All of a sudden, now you can, you can actually see a little bit clearer. I can see you through there. I can see you, Tim. And you're like, okay, but there's still some emptiness. No, I got more water. Because God never runs out. He is living water. And as I continue to practice rest and solitude, 
disconnecting, walking through the desert, knowing that he is with me because of what Jesus accomplished on my behalf, all of a sudden, there's no room for the emptiness anymore. He's a little help. Hang on though. This might be the most important part. Because here's what we, this is how we fool ourselves sometimes. We think, wow, that was an awesome moment. I feel so refreshed and rested. I feel him close. And we walk out these doors and we run right back to the same pace we've been running for months. And all of a sudden, the emptiness starts to show back up. And you're like, no, there's no room for that. There's not until you stop practicing rest. You stop remembering that he is with you, that he wants to be close to you. And all of a sudden the emptiness starts to creep back in and perspective begins to change. So what do we do? We need the desert moments. I still got more water. God wants to fill us up. The scripture says that my cup runneth over. He always gives me more than I need. He is abundant. He is the living water. He wants to give you rest. He wants to remind you today that he is for you, that he is with you. I wanna close with this. I came across this prayer a couple weeks ago. It's called There Is Something by Ted Loader. And I think it's just a great landing for us today. And then we're gonna just create that space for solitude. And I know some of you are like, man, it's, it's time for lunch, Wes. But maybe we would just pause. Maybe we would just sit in that tension of thinking, man, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. Maybe just sit in a posture, even, even now, just the hands open saying, God, I'm empty. I need you to fill me up. I wanna trust you, but I'm struggling to trust you. So with that kind of mindset, I wanna read you this prayer that I came across by Ted Loader called, There Is Something. And then I want the band to sing. And as they sing, you take whatever posture is right for you. We're gonna take communion at the end of the song together. Here's what it says. Holy one, there's something I wanted to tell you. You can follow along on the screen, it should come up. Holy one, there's something I wanted to tell you, but there have been errands to run, bills to pay, arrangements to make, meetings to attend, friends to entertain, washing to do. And I forget what it is I wanted to say to you. And mostly I forget what I'm about or why. Oh God, don't forget me, please. Eternal one. There is a place, there is something I wanted to tell you, but my mind races with worrying and watching, with weighing and planning, with rutted slights and pothole grievances, with leaky dreams and leaky plumbing and leaky relationships that I keep trying to plug up. And my attention is preoccupied with loneliness, with doubt and with things I covet. And I forget what it is I wanted to say to you and how to say it honestly, or how much or how to do much of anything. Oh God, don't forget me, please. Almighty one, there's something I wanted to ask you. But I stumble along the edge of a nameless rage haunted by a hundred floating fears of war, of losing my job, of failing, of getting sick and old, having loved ones die, of dying. And I forget what it is, the real question I wanted to ask. 
and I forget to listen anyway because you seem unreal and far away. And I forget what it is I have forgotten. Oh God, don't forget me, please. Oh Father in heaven, perhaps you've already heard what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to ask in my blundering way is don't give up on me. Don't become too sad about me, but laugh with me and try again with me. And I will with you too. Oh Father in heaven, perhaps you've already heard what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to ask is forgive me, heal me, increase my courage, please. Renew in me a little of love and faith and a sense of confidence and a vision of what it might mean to live as though you were real and I mattered and everyone and everyone was sister and brother. What I wanted to ask for is peace. Enough to want and work for more, for joy, enough to share and for awareness that is keen enough to sense your presence here. Now, there, then, always. Amen. As the band comes to sing, let's just sit in solitude, disconnect, but connect with our Heavenly Father for just a few minutes because we need it. Because our tanks are empty and he wants to fill us up and he wants that to start even right now. So whatever posture you need to take, sitting as the band sings in a second, maybe it's standing up, maybe it's kneeling at your chair and just praying. Maybe there's gratitude. Maybe you're wrestling, struggling with something. Just let this be what it needs to be for you and your heavenly father who is right there with you, who wants to whisper with a gentle voice today. You can be seated for just a moment. We're gonna close a little differently than we normally do, but we're still going to remember Jesus through communion. Because I think that's the perfect landing spot for our time together today, online, in the room. We remember Jesus, his body that was broken, the sacrifice that he made, his blood that was poured out in our place to accomplish what we couldn't accomplish. Why? Well, his love for us was that great, but also because he wanted us to experience that intimacy with our heavenly father. And it was impossible without the sacrifice of Jesus. So when we take the bread and we take the cup, we're remembering him for accomplishing that on our behalf. That's where we find rest. It's a reminder of who God is and it refocuses our mind into who he's called us to be. So let's take the bread and the cup and remember Jesus in that. And then I wanna pray this common prayer. And maybe you're new to church and you're not, you've heard this, but you're not sure where it comes from. It's simply a blessing from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. So I just pray this over us this week, online in the room. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor. He accomplished that in Jesus, by the way, and give you peace. Thank you, God, for who you are and what you accomplished for us. I pray that what's happened here today would not stay here, but it would go. It would impact our lives as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.